Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of our new podcast, Stellaris Emergency Broadcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Stark. Stark, how you doing today? Pretty good. Glad to have you joining me for this. We're spending this episode as an introduction to our playstyle, what this podcast is going to be, and our history together as podcasters, because this feed was not too long ago about a different video game. Now, moving on, I've been binging a ton of Stellaris, thanks to your recommendation. So when thinking about putting together a show, yeah, how can we do it but invite the person who got me the addiction? Yeah, I appreciate that. Stark will fill that role. So for this, I, I will say, speaking to that addiction, I only started playing this mm, in the summertime, maybe June window, uh, heart of the pandemic, really. Sunk. Yeah, I think it was mid June when I was like, you should take a look at this. Yeah. And I've sunk over yeah. 600 hours into it since. So it is a heck of a game with a heck of replayability. Uh, I myself am one that plays nightly with friends. We do multiplayer modded games quite often. And I myself am someone that plays a hive mind or gestalt consciousness. So throw in the uh, driven assimilators and all that for me as well. Stark, what do you get up to? So I've been playing for about three years off and on. Um, I think that's accurate. It might be four. I don't remember exactly when I first got into it. I tend to play single campaigns probably a couple of times a year. I'll get in and I'll put out most of a campaign and then set it aside and come back to it later. So the irony is, whereas in about six months or seven months, you've racked up 600 hours, I've got about a third of that playtime spread out over years. And I do a lot of that in single player. I don't generally get into multiplayer. Um, I've gotten into one of your multiplayer games, and it's actually pretty cool. It's just not something I do a lot of. And the other thing is, I don't actually tend to mod Stellaris that much. Um, There's a lot of options that are just sort of there to begin with. And so... I tend to just stick within what's what's straight up available to begin with. Mm-hmm. Now, that's kind of unusual for me because I'm usually the one who's out there tinkering and, and messing around with and seeing what they can tweak with a game. But Stellaris is kind of unique in that respect for me where I don't generally mod it that much. And as a result, I, I've played a lot of weird stuff. Um, some of the recent stuff that I really enjoy, I really enjoyed the Lithoids. Um, I have played Gestalt Consciousnesses a lot. I think I might've been the one that pointed you towards them originally. Though I tend to go with the robotic hive minds rather than just going with the organic ones, which you've been mm-hmm. just you know, all over recently. So, yeah, there's some significant differences there. Yes. And with that, we bring in a lot of knowledge of both the game, but as of the game industry at large, both of us having done podcasts about games before. So in this series, we will be angling this show to people that are both new to the franchise. I mean, again, myself just having started. Uh, hoping to bring a lot of that new player lens to the table. What what makes sense? What doesn't make sense? How do we get over those hurdles? And with your extensive, no- extensive knowledge of the systems, you walked me through, I think, uh, through Discord video, pointing out some of the features of the game that I needed to look at within the UI because it has a heck of a, uh, a barrier to entry to it at times. A little bit. So with that being said... Our timing for this series is going to be a little bit out of our control. We're recording this here on January 10th, as the world seems to be spiraling out of control outside the window. But uh, we're recording this now 
also not knowing when Stellaris Update 2.9 is set to launch. That is going to slow us down a smidge when it comes to doing any sort of tutorial content, which we're super eager to do. We don't want to record a five-part series when we are expecting very large changes that will uh, actually affect the core of the game quite significantly when we're talking population growth and the potential squish. Uh, Intel, knowledge, actually being able to see the borders of your, your neighbors, that's going to change drastically. And uh, different buildings for your planets, those are also going to change in a rather large way. They're going to affect how we go about teaching new players. Yeah. So something worth noting about this, and this is something that I don't think you've seen as much of this because you started this year. This does tend to happen every year. Um, not these specific things. Like the pop changes are new. The espionage system is new. But each year does bring significant new changes with the game. I think we've we've pointed out some of that in the past in, in private conversations where it's mm -hmm. things like there used to be three different engine drive systems that had completely different FTL mechanics. Um, there used to be an entirely different planet system and, you know, like planet planning system. So this is going to be sort of a, a pattern with Solaris going forward where you can expect that we're going to have to go back and redo some of the tutorial elements just every year, but we're probably looking at a first quarter release for mm -hmm. the next expansion, which is going to add those systems, the changes to the population and the changes to the fog of war and espionage. So we're going to hold off until after that's out to just start up and do our first round of them. Indeed. Indeed. Like you said, something changes all the time. So that should be said for new players that might be out there listening, trying to get a nugget of information. I would say be very cautious to what YouTube video tutorials and such that you choose to read or watch. If it mentions being below 2.7, you really want to look at it with a skeptical eye because those systems are in the chance of being really, really out of date. Uh, we're playing 2.8 right now. 2.7 didn't change too, too much with it. So, uh, you know, enough of those tutorials are still good. Uh, it is us gearing up for a complete overhaul of how we play more than likely because from the developer's words in some of those dev posts, they went into this thinking of doing some smaller tweaks, found that when you start adjusting the core mechanics of population size, that is something that ripples out to every aspect of the game, including your fleet sizes, your economy and the such. It's going to be a good one, but it is going to be one that likely shakes up and probably breaks many, many of the mods that I uh, am currently playing and loving right now. Yeah, it's almost certainly going to break mods. Um, it's also going to break saves, probably. This is yeah. something that's worth knowing. Like, you don't you don't create a Stellaris save and then keep it year after year after year unless you specifically stick with one version of the game and don't update. That's a very good call out, because myself, as you pointed out earlier, I've never had that uh, opportunity because of when I jumped into it. Coming in in the summer was post-Federations, yeah, but yeah, pre-Necroid. Yeah, because the 2.5, uh, 2.6 saves are not compatible with post-Federation releases. Mm, so be careful, folks out there. Anyone looking to jump in, uh, just be cautious about you know long-term saves. Uh, something I'll have to dig up and we can get back to in, at a future date. There is a way to revert your Steam install to an earlier oh, version. That is true. You can do that. Yeah, everyone out there, you, you could probably look that up rather quickly because that's in the menus. Is that that one might even be close to that beta opt-in menu because I'm familiar with that one very much. You can select different versions. 
Yeah, so you can actually, I, if I remember correctly, you can actually revert to an earlier version of the game. So like, if you're playing and you specific, there's a specific version of Stellaris you want to play, that is still there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But again, it's something neither of us have used. So, well, speaking, uh, you know, again, this is our intro. This is our chance to talk about ourselves and what we are bringing to the table. With that, I thought it'd be very, very helpful if we come straight out with telling people what we love about the game and the troubles that we see it having, because there's really, really good points in both categories. Now, starting with the good here, I would say when you're looking at Stellaris as a purchase, there are some price tags that are hefty that come along with it. You are getting very, very strong replayability and customization. If you're someone that's wanted to run your own uh, space empire, you've ever wanted to play a game like Civilization, but actually in space with your ships, this is fantastic. And as a guy that's from the Civ, Civ franchise years ago, this game immediately, I, this is this is the game I dump all my time into. <laughs> and it's the replayability that comes in as I'd say my number one. Yeah. I think this, the one that still catches me even after all these years, is the role-playing function. So this is this is a little goofy, right? Cause it's a real-time strategy game. It's a 4X. So like Civilization is the closest comparison. But more than I think any other 4X I've seen, there's a real element here where it's, it's kind of an empire role-playing game because you have a lot of options. They're not completely balanced, but they give you a lot of freedom to sort of shape what the kind of story you want to tell with your empire. And that's that does lead to expansive RP options for people out there that are in the role playing community. Again, as I was mentioning, this is like taking a game like Civ uh, 4X and putting it in space. So to those uh, like me who grew up binging Star Wars, Star Trek, Stargate, this is a show that, or a game that really lends and leans into the story elements of those. You have components similar to the Borg and the Replicator in here. You have all these different elements that you may see, um, psionic ascension, so people getting their psychic abilities. Really, really heavy into the sci-fi lore. Well, there's a lot of fun little references, too. I can't remember the Stargate ones offhand, but I know I've seen a few of them. But you also see stuff like, um, there's references to Star Trek, like explicit references, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, yeah, this is familiar. Um, there's Warhammer 40k references. There's some stuff to, that references Babylon 5, which is a series I've been trying to get you to watch for years. And I still don't think that's taken. But yeah, there's there's a lot of you know sort of little references here that'll remind you back of other things. And it's, the, the dev team has certainly looked at a lot of pop culture sci-fi in building this game. So there's a lot of stuff where it's like, if there's something from science fiction you enjoy, if there are pieces, this gives you things to play with that kind of structure. Indeed. I am absolutely in love with the Easter eggs that are in the game. For those out there, definitely dive into it. I Again, the more and more you know about sci-fi shows, the more and more stand out to you. With that being said, we did talk a little about updates to the game uh, and how that can break things. I would say this is a strong positive that they continue this really, really healthy update cycle for it. Uh, it's looking to me, Star, correct me if you've seen anything different, but I think our breakdown in a minute is going to back this. Looks like they do about one expansion a year. I saw a year where they had two, I think it was 20, maybe 18 or 19. They had one at the very beginning, one at the end, but for the most part, one a year. And then also these little cosmetic packs that'll come out. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But this is a game that has 
a very healthy update cycle to it. Yep. Also, all of these updates, um, all the DLCs have come with free elements that just got incorporated into the base game. This can make things a little tricky for us because sometimes we'll look at something and go, oh yeah, this part of the game was added with this DLC, but it's actually base game now. It was just added at the same time. So if there's a little bit of confusion on our part with that, it's because we uh, we may not have remembered when we were talking about it. Uh, I know that happened earlier when we were setting up. We were talking about Utopia, and I completely forgot the Ascension perk system had actually been moved to base game in part. Ooh, that's a good call out. And I have not myself played the game sans any DLC, really. I When I jumped in, I want to say I got most of it on sale. I actually got some of them as a streamer on Twitch as um, key. So huge shout out to Paradox through that mechanism. But I, I actually got a lot of these as, as promo keys, uh, maybe a year back, even longer. But I was just sitting on them, right? I, I didn't do anything. I didn't add them to Steam. So when you got me around to it, I was like, okay, I've been eyeball installers. So let me plug these babies in. That meant I jumped in with full content. So I will apologize in advance. I'm not going to have too much insight inherently of what the game has if you have less DLC. But with yeah. that in mind, can I just talk a second about mu multiplayer? Because this is so, so powerful. I don't think I've personally played a game that has this strength, that if you're doing multiplayer and you don't have all the DLCs, but you have a friend that does, or most of them, a majority, whatever, if that friend hosts the game, you are able to join them in multiplayer without owning them yourself, which is wonderful. So they do not cut you out of playing with your friends just because you can't afford it all. That is powerful because Stark and I did a little research here. It looks like buying the DLC will cost you somewhere around 150 to 200 dollars give or take some of those are bundles that are probably thrown in there some willing to shave off 30 bucks here and there there's an art book there's a music thing generally speaking you are looking at somewhere between 150 to 200 dollars to opt in if you want it all i've seen this with a dlc before a couple of times but it is very rare i can mm -hmm. only like, offhand i can only name another one other game that does that so yeah that is a major thing um the other thing about the DLCs is they're not all mandatory. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you need all of these to, to proceed. Um, I think with a handful of exceptions, it's pretty easy to point to all of them and say, yeah, this gives you something of value for your money. There's a few where it's like whether this is worth it is going to come down to you, uh, to your personal finances and your, your position. This is something kind of to expect from Paradox games in general, like mm -hmm. specifically the Paradox developed stuff. They release a core game and they will support it for years like this is i think we're at five years now since yeah. stellaris launch Correct. which for a single player game that's nuts but at the same time like as they've been going they've been releasing additional content and that content some of the content's free some of the content is paid for and that does stack up over time like you'll see these numbers and it's so saying like it's 200 dollars for all the dlc is a little bit daunting and mm -hmm. That's five years of content that's been added. It is. And like you said, you definitely do not need it all. Uh, bl again, bless them for letting the multiplayer thing happen. I, I, I beg that if we ever have developers out there listening to the show, keep that system robust and, and going. Because I've actually seen that translate over to people purchasing, which is really cool. It's hands-on letting people play the content. And uh, again, most of the friends that I've played Stellaris with here there 
will walk away having played it with me and then they'll go pick it up for their single player games which is awesome the stellaris bug <laughs> once you have it it's it's really hard to shake it now we're not going to go and break down all the pricing for these dlcs we've We've done that before. We actually have made buyer's guides for other games. So in the future, if people have an, a, an urgency, a need, a want, we could definitely consider throwing together a buyer's guide. But for now, we're just going to shout out a couple removed from their pricing elements. We're just going to give you our suggestions of picks. Because if, if you're looking at buying and you want to dive right in, what are the ones we recommend? There's, first of all, breakdown of expansions, story packs, and cosmetic packs before we even get into that. These are three differentiators. At least you can uh, you can see these listed as such on the Stellaris Wiki. Uh, I think it's very helpful. I don't know that Steam technically uses these terms. But Stark, why don't you rattle off a couple expansion copies that you think people should really consider? Well, the first one, and actually the expansion that catches my attention most is Utopia. And this is going to be straight up. This comes down to play style. And this is going to be a consistent thing with with DLCs and with expansions. Because one of the ones I love is the uh, the Voidborn start. Oh, yeah. Where you start out with these habitats in orbit of planets, and that's tied to Utopia. Or at least it used to be if it's not anymore. Like if it's become base game, then... I'm confused, but Utopia added a lot of cool systems. Um, one of them is the Ascension perk system, where as you progress through the game and you complete these uh, the tradition trees, which will give you these little bonuses, you get access to some very powerful buffs that can really shape the way your empire is forming. So some of these are like a progression path where your entire species starts to become psychic, and then you can progress from that to being you know psychically aware and a telepathic species. There's one where, as you progress, you can start to become cyborgs, and then you become an entirely synthetic race. So there's some cool stuff in there. Um, other than that, like there's Apocalypse, there's Megacore, and there's Federations. I think Federations is more your shtick, isn't it? Uh, Federations is something I deal with. Let me see if I can pop that one open and check the specifics. I'm on their website, the Paradox Store, for those that might want to use this source instead. They refer to some of these as expansions with a purple header, and then they call the rest of it DLC with a blue header. So again, cl clarification for what it's worth. There's going to be a little inconsistency across the board. Uh, let's see, product details. This one includes, a so Federation had the actual expanded Federation system. Oh, really? The Galactic Community just came in through that. I thought the Galactic Community was there longer origins oh that just added origins again something i imagine would have been there much much longer and then new and constructions being the uh, juggernaut which is awesome so the important thing about the origins is those are open to everybody but some of them are restricted to specific packs and that's one of the right. things where i'm like well wait which one's which because i think the one where you start with habitats in space is restricted to having utopia and federations uh or ha Possible. not having utopia and federations but having utopia um, whereas with federations, like that opens up, I think that gives you, it gives you both of the federation starts, the hegemony start, and right. then the, uh, the, you have two allies nearby that are already in your federation. Um, it gives you a couple others too. So that system was new with federations. It's open for everybody. And this is a consistent theme. Like they'll add a new system and there's going to be significant components of it for everybody. But then you'll have specific pieces of it that are then tied to other DLCs and significantly tied to older DLCs in some cases. So one of the ones I remember, like there's a, um, I think it's the Tree of Life 
is tied to utopia because the gestalt consciousness, the organic gestalt consciousness is tied to utopia. That would make sense to me. I, I'm looking at that that commentary about the tree of life there, and, and I would agree with that. It, they, they do bounce off of other packs requiring you to have certain things to unlock more. This this talk this conversation I guess this whole concept is is less foreign every day just because of a lot of games adopting a similar policy of, of balancing off. But again, you can still choose and piecemeal them out. So mm-hmm. our our recommendations, Utopia, I would definitely get behind. Federations, I'd actually not put that super high on my list. The Federation thing, Stark. This might be one of my first um naysaying things to the podcast where i say not that impressed with the federation mechanics they added to the game Uh, friends and i were having a conversation the other night where for actually being a dlc the mechanics that were added specifically to the namesake the federations the galactic community is okay the federations feel very very small and uh not detailed so keep that in mind too when looking at buying these things Although I have them all, and I think it's very worthwhile, it's going to make your game a lot more expansive as you buy more of these packs. Not all of them are weighted equally. So not every buy is going to give you, the player, the actual human sitting there, the same amount of enjoyment. Keep that in mind. So one that I'm going to recommend, even though I don't actually like it and I don't use it that much, is Megacorps. Ah, uh, yeah. Because if you want to play either a you know one of these massive multi-system corporations that rules everything or if you want to play at a criminal syndicate that has sort of squirmed its way up to legitimacy megacorps is the the path to do that um, that's not a play style ever really appeals to me but it is something to be aware of that's one of the other expansions where like there's some fairly significant content that's worth grabbing it's just it's also an excellent example of a lot of the stuff's going to affect what your personal preferences are very and that's true sort of, sort of where we end up on federations because it's like even saying it's a shallow system like it's very specifically a system that's there for players who are wanting to do the sort of star trek route or starting when sort of wanting to create this alliance of races route for their their empire mm-hmm. and it facilitates that it helps you down that path it gives you tools to start with it it gives you more stuff to do when you're working towards that but if that's not what you want then it's not going to be worth it for you I agree. And you know, this this is interesting. That's a that's a great way to put it because I do actually play with federations on an almost nightly basis, uh, which is a, a kind of why the system or the lack of depth to it is a little bit chafing, I'd say. But it is really good. That is a strong recommendation, the federations pack, if you're going to be playing with friends because joining a federation with them, really, really strong way to play if you're up against like, you know, trying to do more comp stomp style playthrough or even i mean i guess even if you're, you're you know you're up against a good chunk of friends and you guys want to federate differently go for it make all your different uh groups and launch them together that mechanic on its own changes a lot of the end game as well because federations are these really strong uh coalitions of people that will enforce their will on the galaxy and that again makes its own play route so mm-hmm. having them all really really strong advantage now, moving down to some of these story packs, Stark, you are a bit more familiar about the differences in these, even generally speaking, than I, because I never, none of these have been released post me starting to play Stellaris. So these are all pre to me. And I love each and every one of them for different reasons, but they are 
They're another one that's a little tricky. Okay, so we've got Synthetic Dawn. Um, this is the one that lets you start as a robot species. Like your, your species are robotic. They're synthetic life forms. You can do that through the Ascension Perk system late game. So like you can play a race that's you know still organic and then they progress forward and they, they turn themselves into a synthetic race. Synthetic Dawn just lets you skip all that and start as one. It really changes how you look at certain elements of the game because you no longer have to worry about food. Um, in fact, I think I think we had a multiplayer game where uh, I was on a synthetic or somebody was on a synthetic and we couldn't do anything with our food because you, somebody else was trading us food and it was just sort of piling up and it's like, I can't eat this. It's pretty fun. Um, it, it is. It's also fun for that, though, because like, if you really wanted to go with the robotic route, that's there from the start. And there's some unique elements to it. Like if you wanted to play the Borg, you know, sort of a, I think it's the driven assimilator. Correct. Yeah. That's there. Um, so, yeah, it's worth it if you want that. Leviathans is one of the few ones in the story packs where I just say grab it anyway. And I might be biased here, but it adds something really interesting to the world because it, it it adds elements with these massive spaceborne life forms. And they're sort of wild cards. They're floating around in space. Um, the other systems interact with them, but it does add a, a really amazing sense of wonder when you hit a system and it's like, oh, there's, you know, there's these various species here that are just sort of free floating in space. I think it adds a wonderful texture to the universe that, that really is its own identity, which is rare for something that's designed to be as uh, flexible as possible. Uh, that's a great point. The, the 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 Leviathans are very, very fun. They add, like you said, a lot of different challenges out there with their them being strong. Um, kind of mid to late game things that you kill, probably a little sure. bit towards the mid uh, on that one. But you can kill these guys and get some great perks out of it. And also these ones have some amount of storyline attached with them as well, just depending on what you go up against. And also... The War of Heaven is included in here, which I found interesting. Oh, that was, yeah, that was added with that. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's a Babylon 5 reference. But what'll happen is, uh, without getting too deep into it, what'll happen is you'll have multiple ancient species that have sort of existed in your galaxy for thousands of years. And the War in Heaven is an endgame crisis, which we'll come back to that at some point in the future, where two of them will wake up and go to war with one another and pull everybody else and all the younger races of the galaxy into this proxy war between them. Yeah. So it's it's a really fun outcome, uh, depending on how your galaxy has been set up during the course of the game. Moving so, on, we have, what, yeah. Distant Stars? That one, I don't even know what's in that, Stark. That's the L-Gate. That's the L-Gate. Okay. Oh. This is alternately one of the hardest to recommend in the story packs and also like it, you love this so this is definitely in a range of it's it's really interesting but it's also probably one of the most narrow of the story packs because what distant stars added adds is a single event where you will find uh, various gates scattered around the galaxy and as you progress through the game you'll get technology to try to bring these online once you bring them online you open a portal to this cluster of stars that are actually outside the galaxy. And then one of, I think there's about four or five different things can happen out there. Sounds so it gives you, yeah. So it gives you all these things that can happen out there in the L cluster and it gives you access to the whole L gate system, the normal gates, right? The, the normal gateway network that doesn't connect to the L gates. That is completely separate from this. Yeah. But so this is a very narrow piece of content. 
And it's sitting at a, for about 10 bucks at a 6 out of 10 on Steam. And I'd say ooh, uh, $10 yeah, does feel high for yeah. that. And the rating feels accurate. It is fun the first couple times. Don't get me wrong. I have enjoyed it. But it is one that does expire in its coolness over time. So I would not rate that too high on my list of things to buy. Also, very quickly, generally speaking, um, off of the Paradox store, it looks like most of the expansions are priced at $20, whereas the story packs range closer to $10. Uh, and with Paradox games, this should just go as a general warning to folks, Paradox games like City Skylines are best to buy when they're on Steam sale because you can get hundreds of dollars of game for hundreds of dollars less. So just be smart about your timing these purchases. If you want to wait for summer sales, fall sales, we get you and support that kind of buying purchase. Yeah. I think with this, I think with Stellaris, I actually bought in when it was 75% discount. So at that point it was, um, I think they had about a hundred dollars worth of DLC in the game. And I bought that for about 25 or 30 bucks. So I was like, okay, this is good. But yeah, if you're, if you're looking at the price tag, like especially right now as we're recording, it's a lot harder to just sort of blindly recommend. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very true. I'll also throw in here that uh, I haven't used this link in a while, but we'll include a Humble Bundle link in the descriptions for these shows. So if anyone ever wants to pick it up and help chip back into supporting the show, keeping it hosted and all those other things out there, that would be a great way to do it. No extra cost to you as you pick up a game. Now we get into, ooh, we have one more story pack before we talk about cosmetics. Ancient Relics, Stark. That is a good one. I like these. Mm Mm-hmm. It's archaeology. It's an entire archaeology system. I think this is also where you get the relic worlds. I think so. Which are these. I love them. Like from a from a role play perspective, I love them because it's this world that used to be this massive cityscape and has just degenerated into complete ruins. And you're you're sort of colonizing that. Um, it's got a lot of very small little story beats. And again, this is one of these where it's like the price point on a lot of the story packs are kind of they could be an issue for you personally because it is a lot of small little narrative storylines that play out. Um, they have some nice bonuses in game, but if you're not looking at it for wanting to read a story as you're playing, this one loses value quickly, unfortunately. That's actually a fair statement in there. I would agree with that, that it is a very fun one if you, and, and you're right, there's a lot of reading to it. I'll say to the people yeah. out there, I, I definitely at this point in the game do not read most of the things that pop up, having, again, sunk 600 hours. And I, I think I've gotten to the point where I just, for the most part, hit enter and move on. But these do add really interesting ways to advance your civilization through technical marvels of your predecessors, through learning about, you know, the other colonies that have fell before your might, before whatever. There, there are all these great excavations to dig up. They can have some really strong benefits to them. Really good in that sense. <laughs> Cosmetic yeah. packs. Now, these ones is, are the really unbalanced aspect of it. I was going to say, this is a little bit of a misnomer, too. Like, two of them are definitely cosmetic, and two of them are not. Um, I don't know, yeah, because the cosmetics coming from the wiki, and these have been classified, at least by Paradox, as species packs. So that's probably a pretty good term for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of going, actually, that's sort of the reverse order of what we've got here. Let's hit them in, in release order. So the Plantoid Species Pack is actually cosmetic. Um, it gives you a new ship design. It gives you a new uh, cityscape. It gives you a new set of portraits for your species. 
uh, that are all plant focused. So if you want to live, you want to play as a, a sentient race of plants, rise up and do whatever they want, then that's going to be a route for that. It's a little steep for just cosmetic bonuses, but it's also really good looking. So I agree. And it's going to be sort of a consistent theme with these. Very much so. Same with so like, it is. yeah, these, these humanoid packs as well, just again, ship set character profile sort of things, but no mm-hmm. meaty changes or unique aspects as to how you're going to play the game with them. Huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Humanoids and plantoids just follow normal base game rules. And those go for about eight. They go for oh, actually all of these species packs go for eight dollars, according to Paradox's website. Yep. So Lithoids was the first one that had gameplay rules associated with it. Um, you're playing as rocks. And in this case, you don't actually eat organic food. You eat minerals, which has a huge effect on how the game plays out. Now, by this point, we already had another species type that didn't use food with the synthetics from Synthetic Dawn and also from the base game. But this was the first time where it was like, okay, well, here's a species pack with significant rule changes. And they've also got other things like they've got increased habitability, meaning they can colonize worlds that other races, like they've got more freedom in colonizing worlds than most races would have. Um, They have significant statistical changes. So it's as much as it's like, oh, it's a cosmetic pack, it's a species pack like the others. These guys actually have gameplay changes. Um, they've even got a thing with the origin system from federations where they get a new colony option. If they have the, I think it's calamitous birth where they will just throw rocks at a planet and then dig themselves out to form a new colony, which is, I think it's hilarious, but it is a little bit of a strange moment when it's like, this is not a cosmetic pack. This is, it has cosmetics. It's got new ships. It's got a new cityscape. It's got uh, new portraits, it's got new voice work for your advisor, but it also has gameplay function. And that brings us to the most recent species pack release that I have actually been around for. Mm-hmm. Necroids. Very, very the, similar. These are the best looking ships in the game. I agree. So these ones were released around Halloween of well, Halloween, October 2020, and uh, they specifically said they were going for something a little bit creepy as their launch decision, you know, I'll tie in it all in thematically. And I gotta say, they nailed it. It is a very spooky looking, a little intimidating uh, space empire vibe for your star bases, your ships. And then following through with a very necromancer style of gameplay, actually allowing you to resurrect armies and such it's mm-hmm. it's interesting you can use a necrophage ability to repopulate your people so three new civics came with it a new origin profile portraits you got ship set advisor voice uh, new rooms diplomacy such and uh, nameless so really really cool overhaul i guess a good thing to take away from this stark having you list those out is that the these packs are becoming better for what it's mm-hmm. worth they are still a little disappointed with the necroids beyond the ship design but yeah because that it's true the weird for that one was the ships are really cool i like those and dig them the rest of the packs sort of fell flat for me at least on a gameplay perspective because as much as i thought originally that a lot of the new civics would sort of be something i'd like to play with a lot of those sort of landed flat for me but that's that's personal preference well that is as we summarize these, as we get to the end of all of the uh, the DLC that we can really put in front of you, there are some other things here and there, by the way. Go 
go check out, like we mentioned, there's soundtracks and ebooks and all that. But for the most part, these are the things you're going to want to grab for your expanded universe. That being summarized, I agree not all of these things are likely going to appeal to everybody. So just keep that in mind that you could very easily go without playing or buying the Necroids. The same with even the Lithoids. If you don't want that, if that's not going to be something you boot up, saving that $8 could easily be more value to you. Uh, so I guess in, in, in a pretty sensible order, you're going to want your expansions because like the name implies, they add the most to the game. Some of those story packs are really, really good. Others... You know, like Distant Stars, you, you could, that's probably the one I would recommend the least out of those ones. And then cosmetic packs, truly a la carte, do what you want. If you want to be a completionist, you're not going to be sad having them all, especially because it will give you a lot of new pre-generated bad guys to go up against out there, right? Because you're, you're just going to have a lot of new enemies or AI um, adversaries placed into the map that utilize these features. Very fun. Mm. Very cool. Now, after the summarization of those, let's get to, we did kind of the good, the bad, the ugly, if you will. Um, this is the part, these are the things I think Stellaris needs the most help with. Keep in mind, there, there are Steam reviews out there that'll say, game has nothing to it, no end game, no, not replayable. I, but, you know, they've sunk 1,300 hours into it or something crazy. Yeah. I'm sitting here with 600 saying, I think, unfortunately for how amazing Stellaris is, it is very much held back by its UI. And that's going to be a lot bigger than it might sound like because that means it accidentally adds a lot of micromanagement to the game coupled with a lack of hotkey support can make the game almost unplayable to someone that may have a physical disability, um, someone that may, you know, lack the ability to go around clicking all day. And I'll say as a guy that has some like starter carpal tunnel and that wears a, a brace for it while doing some gaming, Stellaris is no help to my wrist just because you yeah. really can't automate too much. And um, I'd love to see that enhanced. I'd love, 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 love to see them do more hotkey support, more UI design that it, that reduces the amount of clicks, reduces the amount of hidden menus and that sort. Yeah, there's actually, this is one of the things where specifically our experiences are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, not just on the carpal tunnel thing, because it's I'm so far I've managed to avoid serious wrist injury. But the UI and the micromanagement issues really click in when you cannot simply pause the game on a whim. With those two, if you're, so when I'm playing a lot of the time, it sort of ends up being almost a little bit more like turn-based because I will pause, I will plan out a bunch of actions, I'll mess around with the UI. And then once I've got that in place, then I'll unpause and let things progress. And the micromanagement in that sense is like, yeah, if it's not your thing, it's not gonna work well for you, but you have as much time as you want to tinker with things. And that's something that actually really becomes a problem in multiplayer because multiplayer ends up being this thing where you can't pause. Like you can't sit there and tinker with your ship for 20 minutes because you want to, because you want to see what your options are mm -hmm. or because you're trying to figure out how to balance the power to get exactly what you want out of it. You can't uh, sit there and go planet to planet, you know, messing with exactly what's going on to get the exact behavior out of the pops you want because while you're doing that, everything else is still happening. Whereas in single player, you actually can do that if you want to. And there's an element of this, legitimately, there's an element across the board with Solaris where 
it's the multiplayer becomes a conflicting goal from the way it's been designed. I now, hear you. I, I would still say um, you have to make just as many clicks as I do. Yep. But you are right that you could go, uh, you know, uh, kind of have a spa day in between what you're you're doing for your setup yeah, there. Yeah. But I, I will that. just make a clarification that for those that are playing multiplayer, there's actually less hotkey su support for you. Um, so be yeah. wary of that, that your speed controls do exist, but they're not bound. Yeah. And, and I, I think a lot of my issues, Stark, just for clarity's sake, is a lot of the menus that you you seek out most of all, like technology, for example, is one that players will quickly learn. You're, you're always clicking on that. Had hotkey controls, but at some point were deleted and reprioritized for a menu that yeah. is not one that I access almost ever. So um, it is it is tough. I do hear that, though. That makes sense yeah. about the pausing aspect for sure. And I think the, yeah, the other thing about pausing is it does it is just a mask over the problem. Right. Because that's like I'm saying that, and I realize I realize now it sounded like I was like this isn't a problem. It's like no, this is a problem, but it's a problem that can be player. easily mitigated in single player, yeah. but cannot be mitigated in multi. This is something else where it was like uh, we were talking about this earlier, like somebody with a disability, where if you only have use of one hand, Poof. pause and unpause has a permanent key bind. Yep. So you don't have to have a hand on the mouse and a hand on the keyboard. You can pause and then go to the mouse and then come back to the keyboard thing. But that's not an option multiplayer. So, it, but it is still just a band-aid over a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, um, ag again, I think most of these problems almost exclusively track back to you either either UI issues where the intended action that's being asked of the player makes sense. Hey, you know, your your world has too many people on it, so you're going to want to move them. But then, for example, when we're talking about moving populations. The UI does little things that abandon you and leave you out in the cold. So if moving people would be the priority, you'd think your unemployed population would sit at the top, easiest for you to move around. But it doesn't. They're actually at the bottom where you have to scroll to and then move them. And that just... So for what it's worth, any devs out there, what we're asking for, we're saying the gameplay loop, very entertaining. But mm -hmm. the problem is I need more hours in the day, or I should say I need more uh, hotkey help so I can play your game longer and spread the addiction across the land. But uh, yeah, when you're sitting there and you're nuking pop-ups that occur when you're reorganizing your fleets, when you're doing all that, it is quite a lot. And for a game that is more appealing to play on larger sizes because the depth of just lore and all that that it generates um it, it again can become quite massive for you to overhaul and i will say there are some automation tools that do exist within the game they're very lackluster though so as a new player i would actually say be very cautious of using automation because it will set you into like a an economic death spiral at times yeah all of that being said stellaris has proved to be more than worth the money uh, that I think I've spent on it in my time. I know that I get at least like three to four hours worth of fun every day out of the game. It is my escape in this crazy world. Again, you know, we've been locked inside with the pandemic. I have done a lot of Stellarising to, uh, you know, occupy my time. And every day I come back to it pretty fresh-faced. We might take a night off, you know, a couple times a week. But uh, we come back and we go, go, go. That is also a huge shout-out to the amazing modding community because the mods for this game not only 
fix some of the UI things. Uh, unfortunately, not that that many, to be fair. There's very few UI mods that really have helped me. If anyone out there can recommend, though, please, 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 I'm eagerly begging you. Um, but for the actual content mods that exist, whoo, megastructure mods, that you can do that. There's, um, there's mods to become like Fallen Empires. There are new origin mods. And even some of the YouTubers for Stellaris, I think it was A-Spec, uh, was doing something recently with a modding, uh, I don't know what, what was the word for that, Mod Jam, I think was the name, where they were, I think they had like actual prizes for the modders going into it, and they were doing amazing work. Well, and there's also the total conversions. Like, there have been a bunch of major total conversion mods floating around, too. Star Trek, there's a fantastic one for Star Trek, just, just one of them, but... New Horizons mm -hmm. is wonderful for that. Any that you've done, any mods that you uh, are a huge fan of, Stark, as we wrap this episode up, or no, have you not gotten into them yet? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because again, I keep going back to the base game and messing around with that. Um, Stellaris is kind of the game where the kind of game where most of the time when I do get into modding, it would be balance changes. I'd yeah. be going around messing around tweaking balances. So that's something where I haven't really felt the need. Like, it still feels really solid, even mm -hmm. just from the base game structure, so. I will agree with oh, that. Man. That's actually probably a real <laughs> recommendation in retrospect, because it's like, for me, a lot of the time when I am when I go back in and I'm modding a game, it's because the game has come up short in some respect, and that's never happened to me with Stellaris. I can agree with that. Um, I would say we've modded it out of wanting to add depth to it so a lot of the ones we add are content mods um to recommend just two to people right off the bat gigastructures fantastic that mod is one that i i highly recommend and uh adds more than just gigast or well megastructures and accompanying gigastructures but it adds end game crises and mid game crises they're going you know full additions to it which is just fantastic um on top of that i would add i need to look up the name of this one so I can only tell you guys in theory what it does, but there are some fantastic tradition overhaul mods. I'm playing one right now that adds mm, something like maybe maybe 18 or more traditions to the game beyond the, the seven starters. It's really fun. You can do so much with it. But uh, that brings us to the end of this very first intro episode, Stark. We're almost out of time here today. This has been really, really fun to just sit down and share our thoughts on it. Share some generic ideas for people looking to get started. Yeah, it's been a blast. I very much enjoyed myself. Everyone out there listening, I hope you get into Stellaris if you're considering. It is well worth it. If you are a longtime player, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this podcast too because we'll be tackling, like we said, news, mods, and more. For new players, you're definitely going to get to enjoy the tutorials we walk people through we're going to be tackling elements that prove to be most challenging uh, in my most recent jumping in and also what we've seen from recent new players hopping in as well. Like we're taking a kind of a cumulative look. I've, I've walked a couple of new folks through the game recently and have given them personal like one-on-one -on -one tutorials of what they should be looking for, what they should be aiming for uh, to see some big economic growth. So that's going to be really, really nice to share that information with everyone out there. As for social networks and such, uh, we'll keep you posted if we decide to create any of those. We're both over on Twitter, and you can find those in the description below. Um, otherwise, we will get an email address down there for you so you can send in thoughts to the show. Stark, 
I, I can't thank you enough for coming back together with me to do this. This is super duper fun for us to have another another show together. And what better game to do it with than one that eats my time and life like a good hive mind does. Yeah. <laughs> They're all you. They're all me. Okay, everybody, you guys stay safe out there. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Stark. And we will see you all in an unspecified amount of time. <laughs> Be safe. Talk to you all soon. Take care.